0: A little bit it's a little bit unique. I think you know we're we're just focusing in on something really practical. It's you know what do we do uh, at the end of these Sunday mornings that we gather in this place together? That we we do in response to what God has been doing in our midst, in our heart. You know what does it look like in those moments at the end of the service? I I don't know that I've been a part of a series of the church that that talked about that. Just another one of those (laughs) kind of unique things that happens here, and uh, and I, I think it's really cool. And so last week, Charlie kicked us off with, you know, that there is some significance to uh, to that moment, to those moments right after we've been together in one room and we've we've heard some teaching from God's Word. We have, uh, you know, we've worshipped in song, and and God does something very specific in each one of us, and and it, and it means and it uh, it requires a response, and so that's the reason we. We have the setup we have in the back of the room. And and I don't know about you guys, when we moved to Northwest Arkansas and we came to the Grove for the first time and and I walked in and I saw all of that back there, uh, I went, oh, okay. I mean, I guess guess that's how they do this here. And, you know, uh, across the room, we've got a lot of different backgrounds and we've come from a lot of different traditions. And so depending on which one you've come from, you know, what you. Well, your picture of what that, that response time looks like can, can vary a lot. It's one thing is I love about the Grove is that we've just got a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, some with no background at all, some with, you know, different traditions and lines. And, and so it's just really cool for us to be in one place worshiping together. Mine in particular, when the, when the service would end growing up, um, you know, I was in a place that they had the pews, and, uh, and you could always tell when the service was, was coming to the close, the pastor would preach really long. And you could always tell because he would take the steps and he would walk down in front of the big pulpit and, uh, and he would stand there. And, you know, have you ever noticed in those churches the, the floor is actually slanted, you know, and, and everything kind of comes to the front. Uh, so if you stand out in the aisle, you just kind of fall forward, right? You just roll down. But, but, uh, but he would start to, you know, the, the music guy would come up and he would start to lead us. And it, I, I'm sure they did other songs than this. But it always seemed like it was the same song. Anybody know what song it was? I have decided to follow Jesus. Anybody else have that? I mean, I mean, you're talking about a song I got memorized. Of course, the reason I got it memorized is because it's not really that hard of a song. I mean, it's just, it's just a few fra- phrases repeated over and over again. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. No none go with me. Three times. No turning back, no turning back. My cross I'll carry three times. No turning back, no turning back, which is a pretty somber, serious song if you think about it, right? And they would sing it, and then if, if he, he wasn't happy with the response, you know, we'd just keep on going. We were going to sing it until somebody came forward. And what were we really waiting on? The response was, was real specific in the church that I grew up in. And again, I'm saying these things not to dog one or the other. I'm just saying this is, this is, there's some really good things about this. Um, The focus and attention of that time was to make sure if there was anybody in the room who had never fully trusted in Jesus and turned from their their sin and found life in him, then they wanted to make sure there was enough time and that the opportunity was given for that person to come forward and talk to the pastor. And to receive Christ. I mean, that, that was the focus of the time. Now, the, the altar was always open for people to come and pray about whatever. I, I really didn't see it, at least in the, in the church that I grew up in. That didn't happen very often unless we had some special revival time. Um, you could also come up and talk about other things. But really, the main focus was, hey, nobody that doesn't know Jesus needs to leave this room not knowing Jesus, right? Uh, just kind of a side note, that that song, in preparation for today, I was just kind of looking back about that song and some of the history of it. And I was blown away. You guys know my passion for India. This song actually uh, originated from India. Uh, Maybe one of the reasons, because in worship music in India, it's very rhythmic and very, it's like more of a chant. And that may be one of the reasons why it's so rhythmic that they say the same words over and over again. And the story is that these missionaries went to the northeast region of the country which, even today, I mean, the history in that area is that it's the, the graveyard of missionaries because so many gave up their lives there. And uh, this, this one family, they moved up there, and they moved into a tribe of headhunters. And so it was a very aggressive group, you know, and, uh, and they were very much against the message. But one family, one dude, comes to Christ, and so the leader of the tribe pulls in. This is the way the story goes. The leader of the tribe Pulls him out in the middle of the tribe and he says, unless you renounce this, uh, this Jesus, then we're going to kill you and your family. And he said, and so they bring his kids and his wife out and he looks at his kids and he says, either renounce Jesus or we're going to, we're going to murder your children. And the guy says, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And they, they murder his children in front of him. And so he looks at his wife and says, we're going to take the life of your wife unless you turn. And he says the next phrase. And then they look at him and say, we're going to take your life. He says, my cross off carry until I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And then they kill him. But because of this incredible display of faith, the tribe leader makes the decision to follow Jesus. And that tribe comes to Christ, which is crazy because if you travel much in India today and you meet people who are Jesus followers, it, most of that influence comes from that little region up in the northeast. Isn't that just crazy? Crazy cool. So that song's awesome. It has nothing to do with the message today. We're talking about communion, but I just thought it was a cool story. <laughs> uh, I, all I remember growing up is that it was a very serious song. And I was like, man, I don't know what's happening here, but something serious going on. Because That song makes me you know, want to go. Um, so, but here's the thing. It's varied between us in, in the ways that we act on some of these things. Jesus gave some commands and some things he was crystal clear on. But there's a lot of the details that he kind of leaves open. So that's the reason between the d- different traditions, you see it, it acted out in, in a little different way, you know. And one thing that that really signifies to me is that Jesus, you know, I- it's not so much about the details. But there are some things that he's really really serious about. one Some things that he really, really expects. And the big picture thing that he expects is that if he communicates something to us and gives us a command, he expects a response. He expects us to respond. He, he doesn't just give things out there and expect us to go amen and then to do nothing about it. He, ex- he expects our response. And so uh, in Matthew chapter 28, this is probably the best example. And we've talked about this before, but I think in, a, in as far as it goes with this series, man, we have, to, we have to go here. This is the Great Commission. And Jesus says to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age look at it there he says go therefore and make disciples and so a disciple would be a, a follower of jesus even in that term the di- disciple there's that uh it the word discipline so uh you're gonna make these folks that are disciplined their lives around the way of jesus so there's some some discipline involved uh since we've already talked about Hindi, I'll, I'll teach you a hindi word today because i don't think there's a good english word for it in India when somebody chooses to follow Jesus they call that person a bhakta which uh, bhakta basically means a de- devotee so that means they've devoted their life around the person and the teaching of Jesus there's some devotion involved and then you'd be talking to somebody and I'm often asked what does your bhakti look like that means what does your uh, devotional life look like and the reason they would ask that question is because between a bunch of people, it may look a lot of different ways. Jesus, like again, Jesus left it a little bit vague that we could operate. But for instance, you know, we know that Jesus has commanded us to pray and that prayer should be a part of our life. But I may ask you, well, what does your bhakti look like I, as it relates to prayer? And you may say, well, man, I really, maybe I'm a morning person. I like to get up, man, really early, and I like to get alone on my knees with Jesus, and that's what my prayer life looks like you ask me, ask me what my bhakti look like related to prayer I love to walk so I, uh, I like to get out and go for a walk and me and Jesus talk while we walk that's just my, my way that's, that's my bhakti now which one of us is right neither we're operating out this thing that Jesus has commanded us to do and the burden is upon you and the burden is upon me to figure out what that looks like You know, he's commanded us to get into his word and that truth and, and life is found here so we, we dive into it but some people love to listen to sermons and, and meditate on it. Some people love to, man, study it really hard for themselves and pull out the dictionaries and the, you know, what does your bhakti look like? What does is, what is my bhakti look like? And it may look different between us. But the thing we know for sure is that devotion and discipline to the commands of Jesus must be present. That's for sure, because look what he says. Make disciples of all nations. And what that's going to look like is first you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's something real specific, a one-time event that happens in a person's life that Jesus says, this is something that you do. When somebody realizes that they've sinned against the Holy God and that they're separated from him, and they see that Jesus gave up his life and has offered this gift, this exchange life where they could take his righteousness and he would take their sin and they would walk in this freedom in this relationship with God, When they realize that and submit to that, that person needs to come in front of some believers, and they need their their community, and you dunk them. Now, anything magical about the water? No, you get dunked a thousand times, man. uh, Come swimming with me this summer, I'll dunk you all over the place. Nothing special about that little tub over there, but there is something significant that you come in front, and there's this symbol, this sign, that you are buried, this picture of you and your death and your sin and in this new life that you have in Jesus. And everybody sees that and it's a proclamation of what Jesus has done to you. This decision that you've made as a bhakta of Jesus. Now you're devoted. Your life is, is about him. So Jesus says, this is what you do. Step one, first step command of obedience to a new believer, be baptized. But then he says, you teach them all the commands. Teach them all the other commands. But don't just teach them all the commands. He says, teach them to obey the commands. And you guys know, most teaching that happens out there, right, we we teach, but there's no expectation of response. Uh, Very seldom do we hold anybody accountable. And so you get taught, and then you walk away, and there's no obedience. And you come back and you get taught something else and there's no expectation of obedience. And I heard this lady one time talking about this and she said, so actually what we're teaching undergirding all that, the thing that we're really teaching is that we're teaching, teaching disobedience. Because we're teaching you how you go out. There's this thing that you've learned, this new thing that God has taught you, but you don't, you don't really have to do anything with it. You just come back and we teach more and we teach more and we teach more and we teach more. And so we teach that it's just okay to say amen but not, not do anything. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, actually, when somebody becomes a, a disciple, that they're taught this art of obedience. I learn it, and I obey it. God does something in my heart, and I respond to it. It made me think uh, when we moved up to northwest Arkansas, I, I took a job at a, a corporate building that, man, it looked like a lot like what you guys' work week looks like, probably. And one of the things that, that blew me away week one, They they pulled up this program on my computer and it had my calendar there. And they were showing me how, you know, you make plans and do this. But the thing was that everybody in the company could see my schedule. Not only could they see my schedule, they could go into my schedule and book meetings with me without me saying yes. I would have to go out back to them and say, nah, I can't do that, or they would just book up my schedule. So week one, I'm booked, man. I walk in the office. Meeting here, meeting here, meeting here, meeting here. And what would happen in each one of those meetings? Here's some problem we gotta solve. We would talk it out and come with a solution. Then we would make an action plan. And then what would I do next? Roll out of that meeting to the next meeting. Well, we did the exact same thing. Roll out of that meeting, to the next meeting. We do the exact. So we got all these action points, but we got no time to act on any of it. So what did I learn? This place we don't. All we're gonna do is meet. We're just gonna meet every day. That's great. we will just meet. Finally, I had to go in there and do this. And if you hadn't done this yet, you got to do this next week. I went in and set all these meetings with myself. I figured this thing out. You're not gonna book me up. I'll book myself up. That way, I'll actually get something done in this place. You know, I love the holidays when everybody was off because you could walk in the office and nobody booked up my schedule. We are. Maybe this is just human nature. We are a people who do that. We talk and talk and talk and talk, but when it comes time to take action, we are really, really slow. And Jesus says that a devotee of, of him, that this is just it marks that believer. They hear, they understand, they're convicted, they're moved, they're challenged, and then they go act. And that's really big when you talk about communion. Because Jesus has given us a direct command. And today to talk about it, I could go, there's a, a couple Gospels, that there's the story, but actually in 1 Corinthians, there's a place that Paul is dealing with this, uh, with this church in Corinth, and it's really, a man, a lot of this book is a rebuke, man, he's coming hard at them for all these things that they're doing wrong, and in chapter 11, he's coming at them on this topic, and I kind of give it some context, he's saying, hey, uh, when you guys come together, y'all come together, and y'all have missed the whole point of, of what this Lord's Supper is about And you can tell from what's happening It sounds like at the potluck Some guys are getting there early And they're just hammering it And by the time the other guys get there There's nothing left to eat And so it's a very selfish you know, thing That there, there's no reverence to and, and there's also It's probably the guys who, uh, who are, you know, Have a little bit more money That don't have to work the long hours That get there first And so there's this you know The rich and the poor that's going on And he's going that's not going to work This isn't the picture of what the church is supposed to look like. And then he says this this to them in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the, the Lord's death until he comes. Now catch that. He says the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, and if you go back in the gospels, that was the night that he gathered his disciples and they shared the, the Passover meal together. The Passover meal. Now if that doesn't mean anything to you, you know that that goes back to the story of, of Israel and they're in Egypt, and God sets them free from bondage, and he does all these incredible things in Egypt, and he brings these plagues against the Egyptians, and the last and final plague was that he was going to pass over the city and that all the firstborn were going to die. But he comes to, uh, to Israel, and he says, Hey, if you guys will take a lamb, and you'll slaughter it, and you'll take that blood, and you'll put it on your doorpost, When I pass through, I will pass over your heart. That's what they did, and that's what happened. And when the firstborn of Egypt died, they let Israel go. And even in the description of what he was asking them to do, he said, hey, listen, you're going to celebrate this meal every year. And it's going to serve as this reminder of what happened of how by this shed blood. You know, we, we just finished a series where we've been talking about all this symbolism and foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do, and I don't know if it gets any better than this. You're going to celebrate this meal, and you're going to remember, and this lamb was slaughtered, and its blood was shed, and that by that blood, now I'm going to pass over. And even in that, he says, hey, there's, a few years are going to pass by, and, and, and your children, the, the next generation is going to ask you when you're having the meal, why do we do this? And when they ask, you detail for them. This is what happened. This is what our God did. Don't let them forget. And so when Jesus stands up at the table at the Passover meal and says, Hey, this bread that's broken, it's my body. This, this wine, this, this cup, this, this, is, this is my blood. They fully knew what he was tying it to. And then he says, uh, of the new covenant." Uh, in Matthew 26, when it tells the story, it says, uh, "This blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins." This this cup represents my blood that sets you free. Whenever you do this, do it to remember me. the The little table, whenever we would do communion in the church that I grew up in, it, it had written across the front of it, "Do this in remembrance of me." I don't think I really grew up understanding why. I just knew it was there. I also knew that it was going to be communion Sunday, because my, my dad would put on his Sunday best, because he was a deacon, and, and he had some responsibility, that was the only time he had to get up in front of the church, and uh, he would put on his Sunday best, and they were, the, the deacons were the guys that would come up and take these really awesome, fancy plates, and they would walk out and pass it out to everybody, they'd give us those little oyster crackers, and, and those little shot glasses, man, those little bitty ones. Uh, another side note, I've got a buddy who's made a living for several years now, uh, filling full shipping containers full of those little shot glasses from Sri Lanka for communion. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, so, uh, but when Jesus, I don't think they had the shot glasses when Jesus did this, you know, and I love the picture of this Passover meal together and the symbolism that this is me now, this new covenant in my blood, not the lamb's blood before, this, this new covenant in my blood. And he says over and over again, do this in remembrance. Remember, remember, remember. The Passover meal had been given to to Israel for them to remember, remember, remember. Why? What's the why behind it? Because when you guys agree our memory has a really short shelf life, I mean really short. And I know mine's worse than most people. I'm pretty sure it's like all those years of football, I'm banging my head around. Like I'm sure something got knocked loose. And I forget things really quickly. But I just think it's also just the human condition. We forget quick. Just talking to somebody outside, talking about losing their keys, you know? It, it happens all the time. I forgot my kid this summer. I, 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 I hesitate to tell the story because it's so bad, but I think it was Father's Day. Uh, I think I spoke that morning, and, um, and we were going to meet my parents for, for lunch, and we rushed out, and Terry took half the family, and I took the other half of the family, And we got there and I noticed my parents had already gotten there and I wanted to make sure dad didn't step up there and buy his meal because I wanted to to treat him that day and so I told the boys to run in and catch him before he paid and and then I jumped out and I ran in and and we got the meal paid for and we we ordered we sat down and Terry showed up and we were all sitting there at the table and it was just this perfect moment I was looking around and, and man I was looking at my dad and thinking how much I appreciate him and love him and mom and how much I appreciate their beautiful marriage and looking over at my my Darcy girl and she was just looking so cute that day and looking at my older boys and how they were growing up and I really was, I was just in this moment and then I realized, where's Jack? (laughs) Oh, he's in the car. And I hightailed it, you know, four, uh, four flat 40 out to the car and I opened up the door. Luckily, man, he's just out there asleep, happy as he could be, but. I got back in. Terry gave me that look. (laughs) She said, you know, you can get arrested for that. I said, I know. Quiet. But we forget. I mean, we forget things so easily. Little things, but then also big things. You would think that big things we would remember, but we forget the big things. Something I'm thinking about this, you know, we, we don't forget very easily the big, bad things. Something went wrong, we remember that. If somebody hurt us, we'll harbor that bitterness to death. We got to root out that cancer. It doesn't just go away. We don't forget those things. But the good things that somebody does for us, we forget those really quickly. It, It really is. The best of us are still, what have you done for me lately, you know? And especially with God, when God has taken care of us and blessed us. And this whole idea that he saved us from our sin and from ourselves. We forget that by the shedding of his blood. We forget that really quickly. You know, one of the big things that happened in, in our world uh, are these kiddos, man. We, Terry and I struggled with fertility. And, um, and there were a whole lot of times that there were all, each, with, each, with each child, there were these uh, false positives and these these moments, I can remember with each one the moment that I'm crying out to God and saying, I don't even know if you're real, I, I, I don't understand, uh, I'm frustrated and mad and my faith is weak. And then he would, you know, <laughs> Caleb comes along. And then I'd be in the same place again and, and Brennan came. I think the reason he gave his twins at the end was just to say, shut up, boy. Just shut up. You'll go away now, won't you? But, I, but, but it's, we're that quick to forget. And so he says, hey, when you take the bread and you take the cup, do it. And the reason we do it is because you need to remember. And then he also says, this, this act, which, by the way, I mean, think about it. It's the only tangible thing like this, you know, that, that we do. I mean, the, in the Ten Commandments, we're told not to build an idol or do anything like that. I mean, there's, a, there's a, a, some part of the tangible thing that takes our attention away from jesus this is the one thing that he's given us is this ongoing thing that we do he says you do it to remember and he says you also do it because this proclaims the lord's death until he comes when we do that to everybody looking on what we're doing is we're saying hey our god was broken his blood was shed on my behalf and we proclaim that just like when we when we take baptism. We proclaim that we were dead, that he took death so that we could have life. And we proclaim it over and over so we don't forget and so that we leave no doubt. I'm trying to proclaim it this morning with my mouth up front of people. You guys get to proclaim it every time you take the Lord's Supper. And then he goes on to say in verse 27. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Remember, he's rebuking this church. Because they've taken it in an unworthy manner. We'll be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning. Which, uh, I looked this up, just that, that original word, just to try to figure out more what that meant. And it, uh, it could also mean making distinction. between Discerning making this distinction between that this is a, a sacred moment. It's not just something that you, you just do. It's not just, you know, wrote every week. This is just something that we do know. It, it's something significant, and it's a significant moment. It needs to be appreciated like that. I don't know that you had to put on your Sunday vest to wear the three-piece suit like my dad did, but there was some attention brought to, hey, this is a special moment. I'm... Um, uh, Making a distinction between just the normal moments and the sacred moment. Charlie talked about that a little bit last week. Examine yourselves. And then at the end he says uh, if you do this without discerning the body of uh, Christ and eat and drink they eat and drink judgment upon themselves. That not to do that, there's some judgment involved. In fact, the next part of this passage he talks about, hey, there's some things going out in your community at that church. That are a result of your lack of attention to this. Then he goes on to say, "Hey, if you're—we talked about this in the one another series. He says, Man, if you're really that hungry, eat before you come.' you didn't hear anything else tonight, that's just this morning. That's a good thing to remember. Hey, if you're going to a potluck and you're hungry, eat before you go. Base code—it works really well. Uh,
1: you know, the night
0: of Christmas Eve." If you didn't have to the Christmas Eve service, I know we've said this a lot, but you've got to just put it on your calendar next year. But one of the big parts of that night is that Charlie encourages us as families to, to go and take the Lord's Supper. It's probably the one time of the year that the kind of a lot of people at the same time go. You know, every week a few will, but uh, it's probably the one time of year that a lot of us go. And I took Terry and the boys and the babies back there. And on the way back, you know, I took the boys and the babies and said, guys little guys aren't gonna take communion with us they, they haven't trusted in Christ they don't understand what's going on they'll just watch you know and I was trying to bring as much significance to it as I could and we go back there and and uh, so we, we, we do it and by the way just something real practical we don't have the little shot glasses we got one cup back there you might look at that and go man we're gonna get sick if we all drink from that and we probably would so this is what we do we take the cracker and we just we dip it in the cup. So the family gathered around one of those tables and, and the boys got theirs and Terry and I got ours and we dipped it. Jack had the slip on his face and he kept on saying he was hungry. So we we dip it and we take it and then I, I said, all right, let's, let's pray real quick. And as soon as I closed my eyes to pray, we could hear this crunch. And I looked down and both babies had crumbs going down their face. You know, uh, being discerning or uh, making reverence you know, it's, like, it's not like you have to be uh, it's not confident circumstance it's not, but there is this thing that happens that you make a decision this thing matters that my Jesus who I'm devoted to has asked me to do this he's asked me to do it so I don't forget so that I don't let anybody in my family or anybody around me forget what is done and that it matters to me challenge you, I don't know when uh, the last time the the Lord that you took the Lord's Supper was, you know, I think the, the once a quarter that the church I grew up in took communion, I, I think that might be a little bit, you know, too few times, taking it every day, might, you know, Again, yeah, Jesus didn't say that there's a certain, He just says every time that you do it, every time that you do now I'm really easy to forget. so uh, we talk about these different elements of response. And I just every week have to say something about that there's, there's some people back right there that would love to pray for you. They would love to pray for you if you've never trusted in Jesus to begin with. If you've trusted with him and you're struggling with something you just need somebody to uh, love on you and pray with you about that thing. And there's an incredible prayer team that would love to do that. So I tell you what, I'm going to pray for us. And the worship band is going to come. Just make the most of these moments. Whatever he touched in your heart, whatever he revealed to you, he expects a response. Let's give him Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I love you so much. And I thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. And you know that. That we remember that your blood was shed and your body was broken. That the cost of our freedom and our salvation was, was not cheap.